So Pete, what are we talking about today? All right, Kev. I know we screwed up once before when we tried the whole summer camp thing and that lady went around and started killing everyone, but she's gone now. I'm sure it's safe to go back to summer camp. There are so many things that are a problem with that thought that I don't even have time to go into them. Forget about the world we live in now. Are you sure she's dead? And will that stop anything? Because I've talked to you enough times to know that that is not the ending to anything, Pete. Kev, I promise you, absolutely, that lady is not going to kill anyone ever again. That was very oddly specific, Pete. I don't know what you're talking about, Kevin. Welcome to Fearless Films. Fearless Film is a podcast where a horror movie buff... That's me. ...breaks down the scary movies for the scaredy cats. That's me. So they don't have to watch the movie. And this movie sounds movies. like... A... I'm sorry? Uh, we're doing a franchise breakdown this week, Kev, and I'm going to throw three movies at you today. Because you didn't think I had enough fun listening to one movie of people getting murdered and horrified. You had to throw three at me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, they're early 80s slasher movies, so it's not like they're over-the-top crazy yet or anything. I think you can handle it. All right, all right, we'll see how it goes. What franchise are we talking about? We are going to dive deep into Friday the 13th, which we already covered the first one on, and that was a disappointment for you because there was no hockey-masked killer murdering teenagers at a camp. It was a middle-aged woman. <laughs> You know, those middle-aged women murdering teenagers. Your like pop you culture do. your pop culture image of this franchise was shattered when I revealed that to you. There was no machete, really. Was there even a hockey mask? There was no hockey mask. There was no hockey mask. What was she even wearing? A, a nicely knit sweater. I think it was wool. That's it? I mean, and pants and stuff. She wasn't like... No, what I, you... mean, I, I mean, like, there was nothing covering her face. No, she just shows up and starts killing people. What the hell is this franchise's problem? Don't they realize what they had here? The marketing opportunities. Oh, Kev, they had to start somewhere. Jason wasn't the villain yet. Listen, George Lucas knew how to make action figures before the movie was even filmed for Star Wars. <laughs> and he got himself in on the profits of that. So one, one of the characters in Star Wars is basically just a giant stuffed animal. Like, come on. <laughs> He's a smart businessman, Kev. <laughs> Maybe he can be a sponsor. So does do we do we get masks in this franchise ever? What? Well, I'm excited to tell you, Kev. Uh, we're going to be talking about parts two, three, and four, which I refer to as Jason the Human Years. And starting with Friday the 13th, part two, Jason's Boogaloo. <laughs> what? We are introduced to Jason as the villain, and he does not have a hockey mask. Damn it. All right. Rewind for a second. A, let's talk about why we're doing this. What is, what is this month? Well, we've hit spooktastic October. And I don't like the term spooktastic. Rewind. Well, we don't have a marketing <laughs> department, so that's what you get. <laughs> uh, and just like last year when we broke down the entire Halloween franchise, this year we're going to be tackling Friday the 13th, and what better way to celebrate summer camp than in the middle of October in a cold climate area of the country? Listen, it's Halloween. We get it. It's, it's, it's the month for scary things. Let's do a whole bit, bunch of scary movies. 
And I'm excited because I like knowing about this lore, this bigger war. So why break it up into two, three, and four? Like, can you explain, A, how many movies there are and what you're breaking, why you broke them up the way you did? So there are 10 core Friday the 13th movies. Then there's a remake. And then there is a crossover with A Nightmare on Elm Street. God damn it. I mean, I guess they've had 30, 40 years to do this. So that makes sense. Yeah. I've decided to break them up into um, sort of like when you look back at the series, it kind of falls into different trends. So like I said, two, three, and four are the human years. It's when Jason's still basically kind of just a, a woodsman murdering people without any special powers or anything. Then parts five through eight are the gimmick years where it's like, Jason goes to a different location or Jason fights a girl with telekinetic powers. Let's do weird shit because it's the 90s. Yeah. And then 9 and 10 are sort of the we are just going balls to the wall crazy. And 9 is supposed to be the we finally kill him off. But then 10 came out and he goes to space. That's when so that's when things get Looney Tunes, I guess. Yeah. And then at the end of the month, we're going to top it off with the remake. And the reason that one gets its own episode is because the remake is essentially the first three movies smushed together into one movie. That's interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing how the hell they do that. But we should probably talk about two, the human years first. <laughs> yeah, let's let's start off simple. When Jason was still just an ordinary dude who wore something over his face to cover it and murdered kids in the woods. Okay, so first off, I have to ask the question. You're saying human years, you're saying ordinary dude. Didn't he die when he was a boy? All right, so I am a scholar of this franchise, and I can tell you with certainty that it is impossible to determine (laughs) whether he really died or not as a child because none of the many writers over these dozen or so movies ever comes back to that. They're Like, like, listen, he's back. He's really big. He's pretty angry. Just leave it at that. In these early year movies, they're just sort of like, oh, I guess he didn't die. But then it's like, how did no one find him? His mother was crazy for like 20 years, scaring people away from the camp before she was killed. Why did he never show up again? And then the later movies are like, oh, no, he dead. And he's this, you know undead monster now even though in the first three movies he's in he's clearly not undead and he's just a dude well maybe the first three movies he survived and then at the end of the third movie or fourth movie he died and then came back as a revenant well this is what happens when you write the story as you go (laughs) you just make it shit up which i guess is fair i mean i don't think any of these people had franchise in mind when they were writing it although you would think by the fifth movie somebody would be like guys maybe we got a thing here Well, that's the thing. The studio had franchise in mind, and they would just hire new writers for every movie. And they're like, I'm going to put my stamp on this one. None of them decided to to, to try to tie things together and explain things? I mean, it happens every now and then. There's two movies in this franchise where he dies for good. So that (laughs) that should tell you everything you need to know, Kevin. All right, so let's jump into number two of the series. Number one left us at the mom getting killed, I believe, and yep. the camp probably being closed down to due to multiple safety infractions. Yes, and there was the one survivor, uh, Alice, who killed Pamela Voorhees and managed to live another day. Hooray, Alice. Do we see Alice again? 
We do actually. Uh, not common in slasher movies for there to be crossover, but we get some in this one. So the movie opens two months later and Alice is she's still living like in an apartment nearby and she's talking to her mother on the phone back in who's back in California and she's recuperating. You can tell she's dealing with the trauma of everything that happened. So she hangs up with her mom. She goes to take a shower. She comes out. She opens the fridge and inside is the decaying head of Pamela Voorhees for a light snack. A light snack, and then an unknown assailant pops up from behind her and drives an ice pick through her skull and kills her. Okay, well, when I said, is she in this movie, Pete? I was correct when I told you she was. By the barest of definitions, you were correct. Just like she was in this movie, by the barest of definitions. And to really throw a fuck you to that storyline, immediately after she's killed, we get a five years later title card. They were just like, listen, we know that Alice was like a character and you liked her in the first movie. We just wanted to show you that all your hopes and dreams are worth nothing and we hate you. All right, now let's talk about this movie. It, which is, I've always thought it was funny too that this movie does a five-year time jump even though the film came out like one or two years after the first one. Totally unnecessary jumps in time. That was my question, is that did they wait a long time for the sequel or no? They were just like, oh shit, Jason did really well. Or not re- not Jason, did really well. Let's do a Jason movie again. Yeah, like no, there's literally no reason for there to be that long of a time jump. Other than I guess one of the writers was like, eh, that's probably how long it would take before they decided to open the camp again. That's true. I mean, that that at least, I mean, I feel like I would be sitting here yelling at them being like, why open the camp the next summer, dude? So... This guy named Paul reopens the property and decides to make it, I don't think this is a thing in real life, a school for to train camp counselors for camps across America. I don't, I've been to a few summer camps. I, I think most summer camp camp counselors are high schoolers and college students who need a part-time job and get all of 35 minutes of training before they're just thrown into it. So yeah, I don't think that's a thing. Yeah, I think the best you get is they make sure you've taken a CPR course, and that's about it. The hero this time is a girl named Ginny, who's one of the camp counselors, and they portray her as this very intelligent, very smart girl who's a psychology student at college, like you said, college kids looking for a part-time job. At one point, like, they tell around a campfire the ghost story of, like, Jason Voorhees is still in these woods looking to avenge his mom, even though the story is that he died as a kid, so why? Um, <laughs> it's just He's just a little kid running around trying to avenge his mom. And this girl, Ginny, actually takes a psych- uh, psychological approach to the situation. She's like, okay, let's say this kid did survive and, like, lived in the woods all this time. What would he be like? And sh- there's, like, a whole scene where she's just, like, breaking it down, like... Would he be feral? Would he even be able to speak anymore? And all this stuff. So she's portrayed as very thoughtful. And like, you can tell this girl has got a lot of brains to her and she's going to figure things out as the movie progresses. It also sounds like the movie is trying to like push in the fact that like, hey, Jason's alive still. And he's this crazy hermit person that's feral living in the woods. Yeah. Like like they're they're pushing the fact that he is alive. There's not really a mystery like how in the first movie you don't even see the killer until the end. This one's just like, hey, guys, this get this kid Jason's killing people living in the woods like a creeper. Your favorite character from the first movie, Crazy Ralph, actually shows up again as Holy well. Holy shit, Crazy Ralph. 
Yeah. Nice. The loony dude riding around town on his bicycle shouting at teenagers. He wanders in the camp to warn the kids of the danger, but is immediately strangled to death by Jason. What? Yes. So This movie just has a hard-on for killing off anybody that was in the first franchise, huh? Welcome to Slashers. <laughs> hey, remember this character you identified with and probably liked? Fuck you. And then also Crazy Ralph. I liked Crazy Ralph. I know you did. Later, a cop is shown, like, patrolling around the area to keep an eye on things, and he spots a, a man wearing, like, a burlap sack on his head wandering into the woods. So the cop goes to follow him and promptly is killed by a claw hammer to the skull. Damn. Mm-hmm. So wait a minute. No machete and no mask. Like, Not what the yet. What's the point? Yeah, he doesn't have a hockey mask. He's wearing a burlap sack on his head with one eye hole cut out. This is weird. That's, that seems very impractical. So you as a layperson, Kev, every pop culture image you have of Jason still by movie two is not actually what Jason (laughs) is yet. So at night, a bunch of the counselors go into town to hang out at the local bar, leaving a group of victims back at the camp for Jason to start taking out. And there's something very significant I need to point out here that I love about part two. You know how every slasher movie has like the the kid who's the practical joker and he's the funny one of the group and ha 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 and he usually gets a horrific death? Yeah. This movie has that character and he's one of the people who goes into town with, the, with some of the other counselors to just go to the bar and drink and have fun. He never goes back to the camp that night and therefore survives the movie. What? <laughs> But he's never talked about again. He just goes into drinking and he's like, I'm going to check up with some chick I met here. And that's it. That's what I have to believe is that he met a girl and he stayed with her for the night and then heard about in the news the next day that everyone he was training with the canceler camp is dead. (laughs) I want a spinoff that's this dude. Oh, my God. Yeah. His like life after that and how close he came to death. Maybe he becomes some sort of a vigilante or something like that. (laughs) So prominent kills in the second act murder fest. We get a dude caught in a rope trap who, as he's hanging upside down, Jason just calmly walks up and slits his throat. Nice. A guy in a wheelchair. Come on, dude. So first off, let's just talk about that. There is a dude who wants to be a camp counselor and he's a wheelchair. How progressive of the 80s. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's true. If he's not just the butt of every joke, this seems pretty good for an 80s horror movie. No, he's actually portrayed as like one of the cool kids. So I don't know like what time traveler came back to write this movie, <laughs> but good for them. Like he's smoking pot with the others. He's hanging out. He's he's pretty like athletic in terms of upper body stuff. So good Wait for them. Minute. He's smoking reefers all Mm. the kids are kev they're troubled Mm. teenagers sinners yeah well he gets his punishment when a machete gets driven into his face where'd he get the machete did he finally pick up a machete in this movie yes yes and then the kid is like the machete hits him and then he rolls backwards down a flight of stairs oh in an unfortunately hilarious scene i was gonna say now all i have to take back all those props i was giving i feel like they put this kid in the wheelchair just so they could do a hilarious down the stairs death scene with a guy in a wheelchair which is a little bit mm, questionable yeah and finally in a wonderful kill which is also a ripoff of an older film 
a couple is having sex in a bed. Jason walks up behind them with a spear. What? Which I don't know where he got it from. The, you know, the spear fishing class in summer camp. And he impales them to the bed together. Aww, that's adorable. No, it's disgusting and morbid. Right. Is there as much weird, sexy times that the movie really pushes uh, on it like the first one? Yeah, like, no, these two are full-on having sex, and then Jason walks in and kills them. That's great. It's awesome. So is uh, uh, Smart Psychology Girl the final girl in this one? Yes, her and her dude, Paul, they return to the camp later in the night and are immediately attacked by Jason, who chases them around. They get separated. Ginny gets chased into the woods, where she finds a small shack that Jason's been living in. Okay, so this movie's still pushing the whole, like, Jason survived all these years. Uh, Apparently, yes. Okay. Inside the shack is a makeshift altar with Pamela Voorhees' decaying head sitting in the middle of it. Oh, well, he got it out of the fridge, so that's nice. Yeah. Surrounded by a pile of bodies because he just likes to move bodies around. Right. He's he's the one who does, like, silly things with his deaths, right? He'll string them up places. He'll hide them in places. It's He's weird. Boo. I think he was into arts and crafts as a kid. <laughs> Not for long. This is when Ginny is the coolest character in the whole franchise. She gets a light bulb over her head. And before Jason's about to come in and murder her, she grabs Pamela's sweater, which is lying on the table as well, puts it on and like ties her hair back. And Jason walks in and she immediately starts pretending to be his mother and telling him he's been bad and that he needs to stop. And it works. He gets real confused really fast and like gets down on his knees and just starts like shaking and doesn't know what to do. Now, he doesn't talk at all in this whole movie, right? No, you'll get the occasional grunt or heavy breathing, but no verbalizations. And uh, he's wearing a sack over his head this entire time? Correct. Okay. So this plan's working and she's about to be able to like make an escape, but then he like shifts a little and he sees his mom's head still sitting on the table and freaks out and attacks Ginny again. She didn't hide the head. Come on. I know. Right. They scuffle. Paul arrives and is going to save the day, but promptly gets the shit beaten out of him. Well, yeah, Jason, before Jason can kill him, Ginny grabs the machete and drives it into Jason's shoulder, seemingly killing him. It's a shoulder wound. Every movie, anybody who watches movies knows that that's not lethal. Even if it actually, like, really is lethal. So basically, like, every one of these movies, they stumble back into the camp, and there's a last-minute scare where an unmasked Jason attacks him again. Like, he bursts through a window and grabs Ginny, but then she wakes up because it was a nightmare. Of course it was. Was the whole thing a nightmare? No, just the end bit. Okay. Interesting thing, too, like she wakes up and she's being loaded into an ambulance and all that. But Paul is nowhere to be seen. So supposedly he died in the scuffle in the shack. Really? Yeah, but it's never really talked about again. So who knows? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, Maybe they just forgot to invite him back to filming that day. And they're like, shit, whatever. Nobody will notice. Yeah. To sum up, Jason's introduced burlap sack. You see his face once and he's deformed and stuff. 
He has the machete, but it's just one of the many implements he just finds around the camp to kill people with. But it seems like it's the last thing that he had. Yeah, and it's used to defeat him. Okay, so uh, I heard just regular throat slitting. I heard hammer. I heard machete to the face. Any other notable deaths? The sex spear. Oh, yeah, sex spear. What we're officially calling it. Sounds like something from Kama Sutra. You should (laughs) do the sex spear tonight, babe. Ew. <laughs> and uh oh and the wheelchair guy going down the stairs. Well that was which, the machete, right? Yeah, but it's it's literally like the camera zooms out and he's just falling down these stairs and you're like why did this become a comedy all of a sudden? <laughs> this is this is un this is just not nice. So moving on, we're going to part 3 now. Okay. Which is Friday the 13th part 3 in 3D, the third dimension. Oh shit, they got this is like one of the many trends of 3D coming back. Hey guys, look at this. Oh my god, Kevin, the 3D in this movie is everywhere. When, you have, when was this filmed? This was released in August of 1982, and for just for a record, they've been sequential. The first one was 1980, part 2 was 81, part three was 82 they are not slowing down wow. on these things okay this trilogy is ramping up I mean, so 82 i want to say this is probably one of the first implementations in movie world of 3d because like we've had four since then i think you know it was big for a very short period of time in the 90s in the mid 2000s even like a couple years ago it was like 3d's back and everybody's like no yeah and before the 80s there was the 50s with like the big monster movies and stuff but this was when it like came back and it was like we're doing 3d again the technology that could do it and of course this is the only jason movie that does 3d that's all of them all of them are just like hey here's 3d and everybody's like not worth it guys yeah the original story idea for this one I thought was interesting to talk about. It involved a post-traumatic Ginny learning self-defense and returning to the camp to track down Jason and finish him off for everything that happened. Wow, okay, so Ginny is back from the ori- from the second one. And well, like, no. Damn it. That was the original idea, and then they scrapped it for another generic slasher formula. Come on! They had something for a second. Yeah. So this one opens shortly after the previous movie with an injured Jason stumbling into closer to town. He finds like a lakefront store, a convenience store, kills the owners, steals a change of clothes and disappears back into the woods. Okay, so we have they, they, they established that he is still alive. He managed to survive the machete wound. He is human and he is now working to recuperate from his injuries and his ordeal. Correct. All right. So. Very much human, and he, does he have, he has, like, plaid. Doesn't he wear plaid? Isn't that, like, a thing? No, he basically, kind of like Michael Myers, he wears, like, coveralls. Right, right. Or, like, you'll see him wearing, like, a work jacket and work, like, boots and pants and stuff. Like, he kind of just looks like a construction worker most of the time. Okay. The group of victims in this movie is led by one Christine Chris Higgins. Is that her- back at the camp? Is the camp like, yeah, whatever. Well, no, this is a group of friends who are going up to Chris's family's lake house for a weekend of fun. Okay. And the group includes a, you know, Chris, some of the, some boys, you know, love interests, a girl who is confirmed to be pregnant. 
Awesome. Like she's like, oh, I just I just learned I'm pregnant. We're so excited. And a stoner couple who are clearly like adults in their mid to late 30s for who are some reason hanging out with a bunch of like 19 and 20 year olds. And of course, it's never explained why they're there, what their relation is to this group, like how they're all friends. There's just a couple of fucking adults with them. <laughs> it sounds like they had like uh, they wrote a casting list and then they cast these two people and they're like, "Ooh, they're old. Whatever. They'll, we'll just make it work. They're the stoners for some reason. <laughs> the, the dude of the couple looks like Chong from Cheech and Chong, but like a white guy instead of a, a Mexican guy. So I don't know. <laughs> and like I said, they're going up to a lake house, which is on Crystal Lake, because of course it is. Crystal Lake is really not a great place. Yeah. Here's where the movie also gets weird again. On the way up, they stop at a convenience store and some of the group get into an altercation with this trio of biker gang members <laughs> that ends with them like knocking their bikes over with their car as they make their escape. So these bikers vow revenge, follow them to the lake, siphon gas off from their vehicles, and then go into the barn because they're going to burn it down. Okay, what? why is this introduced? There's enough going on to these poor kids that they didn't need, like, hey, let's have, like, a gang war thing going on. Because we've reached the point in the 80s where the producers are like, we need as many kills in these slasher movies as we can possibly get. I, yeah, just anything that you can possibly put together of this this whole murder fest is any excuse there's yeah there's an older stoner couple cool let's uh have some bikers in there girl scout troop in the woods sure thing let's throw <laughs> them in um and of course the three bikers are killed by jason who is hiding in the barn at the time right away <laughs> including fine. including jason thrusts a pitchfork right at the camera oh Whoa, 3D. 3D. And it, then it goes into the stomach of one of the bikers. Gag me with a spoon. Who then is in his dying throes, like the handle of the pitchfork is waving at the camera. God, I can't. I, I will be happy when 3D dies for good. <laughs> but yeah, this whole movie is like, there's a scene where a dude's using a yo-yo and it's coming at the camera. There's a mm. scene where like, somebody's throwing something for someone else to catch and they throw it at the camera. Like this, every other scene in this movie is ridiculous, not important to the story. 3d gimmicks. I mean, that is every 3d movie is roughly 15 minutes of it throughout the movie is just like, guys, pause, whatever you were thinking right now. And look at this cool effect. <laughs> we then get some backstory that years ago when she was younger, Chris was attacked in these woods by a deformed man and only barely escaped. So part of her coming back this summer is to confront her childhood fears and face her trauma and get some relief from all of that. So and we're, it's, deformed man is Jason. It's implied right. to be Jason for whatever reason. I don't know. Like they don't really go deep on this. And it's like, why? Like, I, I don't know. I can't explain that part of this movie. It's just there. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like they're really pushing this whole like Jason was a little kid who got lost in the woods or lost in the lake and they thought he was dead. He survived in the woods for a couple decades on his own as a crazy malformed feral animal person killing things. I get. Well, he didn't start killing things until his mom was murdered. 
Well, that's true. But yeah. apparently he attacked this this girl before his mom was murdered. Yeah, which makes the whole timeline of the movie weird. And so, well, it might not have been because remember, part two introduced that five year jump. Oh, yeah. Right. So, so it could have been who, during that time. It could have been. Yeah. Who fucking knows anymore? Uh, <laughs> so later, the practical Joker guy of the group, because like we said, there's always one. Yep. He scares one of the other girls with a hockey mask. Like he jumps out wearing a hockey mask. He's like, ah, oh, booga booga. Oh, and, hey, it's the ho- hockey mask. Yes. The girl yells at him. He gets all dejected and he goes off by himself. And when he's alone, Jason pops out and murders him. And while he's fighting the guy, his burlap sack gets ripped off and damaged. So Jason, still no, not, not wanting people, <laughs> still not wanting people to see his face picks up the hockey mask and puts it on. All right. So whoever the director of this movie, who is that? Uh, That would be Steve Miner, who directed part two as well, and would go on to direct Halloween H2O. Wow. All right. Anyways, so he was he's the one responsible for, hey, let's put him in a hockey mask. Uh, Pretty much. Yeah. And apparently people fucking loved it. Yeah, and it was modeled after a Detroit Red Wings mask specifically because it has, like, some little markings on it. Uh, but they altered it enough to not get sued. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it premiered in part three of the franchise and has stuck around ever since. And if you want to see it, you want to see the first itineration of the mask, you have to deal with a bunch of shitty 3D gimmicks. Yes, you do. Including in the second act kill highlights, which we've just now arrived at, he does shoot a spear gun at a girl, and guess where that spear goes? In her face? Well, yes, but before that, it goes right at the camera. Oh, god damn. <laughs> but yes, it hits her in the face. Uh, any notable sex deaths? There seem- This seems to be a trend. The first um... one, the guy got stabbed through the bed, then there was the the spear sex position. No, in this movie, you sex do have spear. a couple getting freaky in the shower, but that are, was that this one or was that the next one? Either way, there is less outright sex in this movie, but interesting kills. Nonetheless, there's a dude who's like showing off and doing a handstand and walking around on his hands. And Jason's waiting for him around a corner and bisects him vertically with a machete. Oh, man. I don't think that's physically possible with a machete. It is if you're strong enough. Then you got a dude thrown into a fuse box and electrified to death, which is new for this franchise. And a girl who's stabbed through with a hot fire poker. Ouch. He just fucking, he puts the machete away and he's like, no, no, this one's special. (laughs) All those other kills were just kills. This one, this one's for me. After that, Chris and her love interest return from, they were chatting in the woods about her traumatic they went past. for a walk and they come back, they're like, what the fuck? That tends to be what happens in these movies. They come back and Jason, who's learned from the last movie, immediately grabs the dude and crushes his skull with his bare hands. So he doesn't have to fight two people at once. All right, get to get this guy out of the way first. He seems like the biggest threat. Now let's move on. <laughs> so then we get our final girl circuit. She's running around. Dead bodies are placed in hilarious positions. You know, the, you know the story. <laughs> Hilarity. Final confrontation happens in the barn. Chris hits Jason in the head with a shovel and then wraps a rope around his neck and like throws it over the rafters and hangs him. How would he do what? She just lifts him up. 
I think if I remember correctly, there's like machinery involved, oh, but it's some it, sort of a winch gear thing. She throws it into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he gets like he gets hung like four feet off the ground. But of course, for reasons unexplained, he then momentarily like he's down and then he just wakes up and gets himself cut down from the rope. Yeah. So she manages to finally put him down by driving an axe into his skull. Ooh. Okay. Well, yeah, which more so than the last movie seems like of killing blow. So this is the third movie in yep. this, in this. So this this director here is obviously making a trilogy showing the mom dies and then there's this these two movies of Jason before he gets murdered or killed. Kind of. Right. Um which I'll point out now, spoilers, that axe wound into his head like took a chunk out of his mask. Which yep. they maintain in continuity for the rest of the movies. Like that axe chunk is always there. Okay, so that's that's legit. And so I feel like from this point on, they have to kind of move. Well, first off, is, is this movie's done? Anything notable from this movie? Well, we uh, get our final scare of the movie, like always. But this time it's a throwback to part one where Chris gets into a canoe and pushes herself into the lake for fucking reasons. And. <laughs> Undead Pamela jumps out and grabs her and pulls her into the water, not little boy Jason. All right, because that's how the first one ended, right? Yep. But then she wakes up and the medics are putting into an ambulance and you see Jason's body still lying in the barn. So at this point, I feel like they have to kind of go with the more supernatural route because they he got an axe to the head that they're acknowledging happened the rest of the series and people don't just walk away from that. Well, Kev, we'll find out. Okay, so quick break to uh, relieve ourselves of the 3D-induced headaches we just (laughs) experienced. And just the inanity of, like, come on, like, you can only stretch our suspension of disbelief so far, and it sounds like they're going to really run the gambit with this one. I did not need a scene of a dude yo-yoing at the camera. Dude, yo-yos are cool, so is 3D! You are wrong on both counts, <laughs> and I am ashamed of you. Um, so what, uh, we're, we're, doing, we're doing the movies, we're doing all the Friday the 13th movies, nope, yeah, Friday, Friday the 13th, right? That's right. I just call them Jason movies, what, can't they just be called Jason? Anyways, um, <laughs> we're doing all the Jason movies, what's the next chunk, and why that chunk? So after we finish up the human years today, next week, we're going to be covering what I call the gimmick years, which is when every movie is just a one up of the previous one of like, what weird shit can we do with Jason? And when this is all, I'm guessing because these were all in the 80s. Are these all in the 90s, the gimmick years? Oh, no, no. We're still, dude, part four, which we're about to cover is like 84. We're still solidly in the 80s for the rest of these. Okay. All right. But yeah, the, the, the gimmick years include such things as um, Jason going to different locations, not Camp Crystal Lake, Jason fighting people with uh, special superpowers, Jason having an ongoing nemesis who tries to hunt him down. Ooh, nemesis. And we even get an imposter copycat killer in one of these. <laughs> Man, they're just doing all... I mean, I guess that makes sense. I can see by five or six people being like, Jason's boring. What are you going to do to freshen it up? And they're going to be like, let's do telekinesis. Yeah, especially because 
by the point the gimmick years start, a Nightmare on Elm Street franchise has kicked off. So producers are learning like, oh, we can't just keep doing dude stabs teenagers. Like we need to have weird magical shit happening because Fred Freddy's really popular. So they shove that into the series. Well, yep. we'll see how that works as we go through the next uh, next episode in a week. And until then, if you guys want to get in touch with us, why don't you write us on Facebook? We're at Fearless Films Podcast on Facebook. If you want to tweet at us, you can just go to Fearless at Fearless Film Pod and uh, tweet at us. You can also check us out on Instagram, which I'm sure there'll be tons of cool little snippets about like how Jason looked through the years and all that other stuff being put up there. Uh, we're Fearless Films Podcast on Instagram. Uh, or you can just email us. It's fearlessfilmspodcast at gmail.com. Get in touch with us. Tell us what you think. We love to hear feedback from everybody. Um, if anybody listening is a high-end executive for some sort of a horror movie, hockey mask, or Disney brand, just get in touch with us, and we'd love to uh, sell your stuff for money. So, yeah, I think that's about it. Oh, actually, there is a Kev, there's a relevant plug to what you just said. Ooh. When this pandemic really started kicking off, Tom Savini, the makeup artist who worked on the first Friday the 13th, started releasing like masks for people to wear because of COVID-19 that look like the bottom chunk of a hockey mask. Oh, that's awesome. So if anyone wants to go look up Tom Savini on his official website, you should still be able to buy some of those. I think he's still selling them. That's awesome. (laughs) That dude's a cool dude. All right, should we jump back in to hear about, I guess, there's another human movie? Uh, yes, that is correct, Kev. We have one more in the After human years. After he got years. hit in the head with an axe. He, uh, yes. Cool. You've never had a serious brain injury and just sort of walked it off? This podcast makes me want to have a serious brain injury. Ha ha ha! Okay, so during the break, I did a little bit of research, and I was looking up because I wanted to know, and I found something interesting. Um, burlap sack Jason is actually, like, a thing that, like, when I looked up Jason just to see what he looked like through the years and all that other stuff, there was, like, a lot of stuff that was burlap sack wearing Jason holding an, a, a pickaxe. Yes, yeah, that's it's an iconic a image. Yeah. character. Of burlap sack Jason with a pickaxe, <laughs> which is just blew my mind because I never knew anything about like where'd the pickaxe come from? Was it was that a major weapon for him, or did they just pick something that wasn't the machete? Uh, that's part that he wields that during the final scuffle with uh, Ginny and the dude at the end of the movie. Oh, okay. So that was so. This is like if you're a fan of Jason in the early years. Here's burlap. Sack. I mean, that's only one movie though, right? Yeah, yeah. It's regained popularity in recent years. Like, for the longest time, pop culture was just, you know, Jason, Machete, Hockey Mask. Yeah. But then, you know, with the, you know, the the huge explosion of home media, like DVDs and Blu-rays and going able to revisit old movies, people remembered, oh, yeah, there was that time he wore the burlap sack. And it resurfaced and became popular again. Cool. Well, I had no idea about it, and I'm glad that I am now educated for that one movie where he wasn't wearing a hockey. Actually, it's one and a half. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're we're now going to talk about how Jason somehow miraculously healed from an axe wound. Yes. And I am not joking. The title of this is Friday the 13th, part four, the final chapter. Oh, good. So there's no more Jason movies after this. We don't have to worry about it. We can actually talk about something else next week or the rest of the month. Maybe. 
I like um, Kenny Ortega. I think he has really good movies. They're fun, they're light, they're musicals, but I think they have a soft spot in my heart. So we could go through High School Musical, and then we could do The Descendants. Yeah, Kev, Kev. Yeah. I'm just going to point out how awkward it is that the final chapter is part four out of ten. Yeah, we're going to do a few more of these. I'm sorry. Uh, All right. Uh, Why is the final chapter even a thing when he got axed in the head, Pete? Because this was the first time the producers are like, we're going to kill off Jason. So this one, they decided not the axe to the head time. No. This was the time they killed off Jason. This was the one. 85, you said? Uh, This is 1984. Wow. Still really early. When was the first one? 1980. So that means we get a Jason movie once per year for four years straight. I mean, that must it must have been a huge franchise at the time for it to come out every single year. I mean, I remember that happening with Saw back when Saw was huge. Every Halloween it came out with a new one. But that's because it was like the biggest horror movie of all time at the time. Yeah, Jason is pretty popular and cheap to make. So they just churned them out. There's it's a movie a year with only a two year break between one of them until 1989. Which which movie was 1989? Part eight. Okay. And then there's like four years before part nine. But it's fairly, it's not like Star Wars or any other franchise where there was like a 15 to 20 year gap. Uh, I mean, yeah, not until you get to like the remake and stuff. Right. All right. So what happens in, how does this movie open? How do they try to explain to us, convince us that no, Jason's cool, even though he was dead on the ground, surrounded by police is the last movie. So the night after the events of part three. Man, the this, bo- everything's so crunched together in these movies. Until it's not, and there's a five-year gap for no reason. Well, that was between the first and second movie, and they had to let Jason, I don't know, find out about his mom's death and get mad about it, I guess. Which, to remind you, in real time, we still haven't caught up to yet, because a five-year gap would end at 1985, and part four comes out in 1984. (laughs) Then I'll talk about that. Weird time delineation. It's fine. But it kind of works out because then we just kept having a bunch of movies where it's like the next day, the next movie starts. That's true. That's true. So the believed dead body of Jason Voorhees is brought to the town morgue where he mysteriously awakens and murders a coroner and a nurse on his way out. Okay, so he is weirdly durable. Fine. I'll give him that. So, the, But at least they explain like how he got out of that whole mess of people being he was pretty much caught by the police or something yeah but they were just like he's dead great we'll bury him but then he got out before that happened cool all right so he wanders away still wearing his hockey mask i'm sure yep yep and he starts walking back to camp crystal lake the next day a hapless group of teens is heading to the lake for a fun getaway weekend why are teens still doing this I don't know. You'd think you'd read the news once in a while and be like, maybe we're not going to go hang out at the place where three days in a row, groups of people have been murdered. I mean, maybe the, I mean, all right, hey, teens, I don't remember any, when I was a teenager, I never read the news. And there was no social media at the time, so that, it wouldn't have gotten out that way. So these I are guess. just oblivious teens. I guess. Now, I need to point out right here, that of all the Jason movies, this one features perhaps the most obnoxious cast of characters. 
like this movie is 80s cranked up to 11 and these kids are just I don't know, man. I can't even explain it how fucking just like weird and too extreme in their like lingo and how they talk. They're almost caricatures of themselves, their real counterparts, as it were. Basically. And one of the teens in this group is played by Crispin Glover, or as you might know him, Marty McFly's dad in Back to the Future. (laughs) This was pre Back to the Future, and he is just of bonkers weirdo man i don't know but there's this extended scene that i have to share my pain with because it's just he's in the back of the cars are driving up with his best friend and he's complaining about how he's having girl troubles and his best friend's like let me check the computer and then he mimics like typing on a computer and he's like i'm sorry buddy but the computer says you're a dead fuck and he's like i'm a dead fuck you're a dead fuck and then they repeat it like 30 times And then he's just like, oh, I'm never going to get a girlfriend because I guess he's bad in bed. But they say the phrase dead fuck like 400 times. (laughs) And I'm like, we get it. Move on. I I don't really know what that meant the first time, but sure. Keep telling me that I'm a dead fuck. And it's, it's just like this, like four minute scene of these two guys talking about how one of them is lousy in bed and can never get a girlfriend. And he's so like upset about it. And I'm I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) Usually, I mean, like, this isn't on the same level of don't care about most of the teens in these movies. This is, I actively want the scene to end. So this movie's really pushing hard that they're like, hey, guys, here's some characters. You're going to love watching them die. Pretty much. They're all vapid, one-dimensional teenage nothings. Meanwhile, Jason, still stalking through the woods trying to get home, comes across a hitchhiker who is just a girl minding her own business, waiting to flag down a car and stabs her through the throat. She's not even, she's not even at camp crystal Lake. And she's, I'm she's probably not going there. And he just murders her for no reason. She was near enough. (laughs) What, uh, did he get his machete back? I'm sure they locked that up for evidence. Uh, yeah, no, he has like a hunting knife right now. Like a big old, like, fuck you Rambo style knife, you know? (laughs) So the teens arrive at the lake and we're introduced to more characters. Yay. We meet the Jarvis family who like lives at Camp Crystal Lake. That's where their house is. They're real Um, dumb. Mom, Tracy, teenage daughter, Trish, and her 12 year old brother, Tommy, Tommy Jarvis, who is played by a pre Goonies, Corey Feldman. Wow. This was like his first big movie. Um, And he plays a little kid who's obsessed with horror movies and monster makeup and masks and stuff. And it shows that, like, he makes his own, like, monster masks and special effects in his free time. I'm sure that's not going to play into anything later. Mm. And he's named Tommy after Tom Savini, who came back to work on this movie for the special effects so he could, quote, help kill the monster that he created in part one. (laughs) Because like I said, Tom Savini's just a pretty cool dude. All also, right. the the teens, so they meet the driver's family and then like, we're going down to the lake to go swimming. And they, they invite the teenage daughter Trish to come with them because she's in their age group and whatever. Teens like hanging out with teens. They go down to this lake to go swimming. They run into another group who lives on the lake. These hot 
twin sisters who show up and are like, we'll go skinny dipping with you guys. We need vapid sluts in this movie. Let's go. It's it's the 80s. They're just these hot twins show up and go skinny dipping on a whim with people they've never met. Because, I mean, like I said, the demographic, it's teenage boys. You need you need kills. You need boobs and you need, you know, dumb comedy. And then you go you're golden. <laughs> you, we then well, we do get some eye candy for people who are into guys as well, because the, they also run into this guy named Rob who's like this handsome, rugged, outdoorsy looking guy who's like, oh yeah, I'm camping in the area, so you might see me around this weekend. But he's kind of mysterious, like he doesn't talk much about himself and he quickly moves on. Uh, So we have mysterious Rob who's in the woods nearby. He'll also go skinny dipping on a whim though, if you ask. (laughs) No, no, he's much more chaste. (laughs) So the teens throw a party that night and Jason gets to work because he's he's gotten home by this point. He's, so, I could just see the exasperation in him. He's like, all right, long day of killing kids. Coming back, I got fucking hit in the head with an... Oh, God damn it! there's more kids t- partying here? What the <laughs> hell? How big is this lake? <laughs> it's really... He's an exasperated homeowner. That's the situation <laughs> here. So we get, in, we get fun uh, kills, including a girl is like lying on a raft in the lake, and Jason comes up from below her and impales her with the machete. Ouch. From from beneath or stabs down? From beneath. Wow. You get another underwater kill. A dude is swimming in the lake and Jason, he gets another harpoon gun. I don't know why these are all over Camp Crystal Lake. But he doesn't import export. He doesn't shoot the guy with it. He swims up beneath the guy, stabs him in the crotch with it, and then just like full on lifts him out of the water. Mm, That's not fun. It was a kill that confused me when I saw it as a child, and then revisiting it as an adult later, I was still like, why the fuck did this guy die like this? It's so weird. It's interesting and new, Pete. And also, uh, intercut with the killing is back at the party, there's this tremendous, famous, notorious dance scene. They put on some music, and Crispin Glover starts dancing with a girl, and... I can only describe these spastic gyrations as (laughs) something attempting to be dance, but not quite making the mark. But there is an explanation, a behind-the-scenes reason for why it looks so weird, at least partially. Half of it is just Crispin Glover is a weird dude. (laughs) But the other half is that on set, they played, uh, I believe it was Back in Black by ACDC, but in post-production, for whatever reason, they changed it to a completely different song that had a completely different tempo. Why would they do that? There, I have never heard a good reason. Like, they, I don't even think it was a rights thing. They just, like, changed it. So like, We want Crispin to look really weird. Here. Yeah, in the movie, he's dancing to a completely different beat than what's actually playing. And you're like, what is, what's going on here? <laughs> but um, when... Of course, being the modern age, somebody on YouTube uploaded a version of the scene where they just overlaid back and black on top of it. And you're like, oh, yeah, no, he's moving to the beat of that song. You can see it now. It's not weird. (laughs) I mean, it's not very weird. It still looks weird because his dance moves are terrible. But (laughs) yeah. So I got to know that you you brought up four notable characters that I, I need to know how they they ended up because there's 
There's the 12-year-old. That's important to me to see what happens there. There's the twins, and there's the rugged outdoorsmen. So what, what's <laughs> going on with those four? So the only one who's come up this far is one of the twins gets thrown out of a second floor w- window in the house and just crash lands on top of a car down below and dies. Well, I guess that's it for her. Yeah, which nobody else heard, by the way. No, of course not. Party's really, I mean, black and black is like really catchy. So you're not going to hear anything over that. The party's loud and it's raining outside. So, you know, noise. The other twin, um, there's a lot of people in this movie. I'm trying to remember. I think she just gets generically stabbed to death. Uh, It was just the one twin had the exciting death. Huh? All right, fine. (laughs) But meanwhile, there's something important comes up. It is discovered by the Jarvis siblings that this Rob guy actually has an interesting backstory. He is the brother of one of the girls who was killed in part two, and he's come seeking his revenge on Jason. Wait, this is the the rugged outdoorsy guy? Yes. So he's trying to hunt down Jason. Yes. But I have to tell you, because of the stupid timeline choices of these movies, it doesn't make sense. Because, if you remember, by how the movies have been title carding us, part two happened two days ago. But when it's revealed that this is his mission, he has, like, all these newspaper articles, and he talks about how he's been searching, like, and researching for for years. And it's like, no, your sister died two days ago. Maybe You're wrong. Maybe his sister was in the first movie. Nope, he specifically name drops a girl who was in part two. So the movie makers fucked themselves over by being timeline there. Yeah, by just doing a stupid ass timeline and not paying attention to it. I mean, they could have very easily had a year pass between three and four here. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I'll talk about it on a different episode, but I actually assembled my own timeline of the franchise to make it make more sense. So you just have to ignore dialogue in the movies, but it works. <laughs> I mean, a lot of things work if you just ignore, you know, major plot points in the movies, Pete. That's how I live my life, Kev. So maybe he was just really like, uh, he's one of them go-getter types. As soon as he heard his sister died, he collected all the newspaper clips he could and jetted out there. Yeah, that's around. There you go. Back at the party, Crispin Glover gets killed off by taking a meat cleaver to the face. Ouch. I hope there's like a record scratch right as he does it. Dancing stops. No, no, no. This is he goes to the kitchen to get some drinks and he's killed when he's off by himself because Jason is an intelligent hunter. Of course. He singles them out. And nobody's realized that there's massive deaths happening at this point. No, this is one of those slasher movies where it's like somebody will go off, get murdered, and everyone else is too busy doing their own thing to notice. Fun. Exactly what we talked about. They they made fun of in Scream. Yeah. Where it's never say, I'll be right back. And <laughs> part four of Jason is like 30, I'll be right backs. We also get a fun kill where a dude is in the shower and Jason walks in and just starts one handed pressing this dude's head into the wall until like his his skull collapses. Why is he in the shower during a party? Um, Gotta smell nice for the ladies. He should have done it hours ago, bro. <laughs> you don't go shower in the middle of a party. So the Jarvis siblings return home after 
finding out everything about Rob and their mother's dead as are most of the teens at this point. So they, they're, they're running around trying to avoid Jason who's stalking them at this point. Oh, so wait, are the Jarvis, the, the, the girl and the 12 year old boy, they're, they're the final two final girl boys. Yes. Breaking the mold here. How old's the girl? Like 17, 18. Okay, so she fits in final girl category. It's just they have a tag along with her. She's got a little brother that she's got to look out for. Right, okay. And you got big, strong, strapping Rob is going to defend them. Right. Wrong. No. As soon as the first time they run into Jason, Jason pops out, knocks down Rob, and murders him. So much for all those years of research. He doesn't even put up a fight. And the scene, I'm going to have you look it up at a later time when we're off off microphone, but the scene is Jason's like stabbing this guy and he's going, he's killing me. Oh my God, he's killing me. <laughs> and it, uh, it comes across as kind of humorous, Kevin, if you can believe that. That's, that's terrible. And unfortunately, it was because the actor was actually trying to make a bold, dramatic choice. He had read or saw something on the news about like, some people witnessed a guy getting murdered. I think it was like a mugging or something. And in shock, the victim was like, oh my God, I'm dying. Like, because that's the kind of thing that happens when your brain just shuts off from like the trauma of being injured so badly. So the actor was going for something like that, where it's like the shock of what was happening made him just utter something that was so weird, but it just comes across as very bad acting. Well, when you're when you try to when you try to overlay reality into a slasher horror movie, it's gonna seem a little off-putting. Yeah, it doesn't. It didn't work. Uh, so after Rob is heroically defeated, Jason tries to kill Trish, and he's chasing her around. But here's where Tommy comes in to save the day. He quickly, when he's on his own, shaves his head and makes himself up with makeup to look like child Jason, which for some reason he knows what that looks like. They're all ne- over the place. It's, it's Never it's, explained. He's the child ma- mascot of the town. It's very well known. He comes down and like startles Jason and he's just like, Jason, it's your child. He basically is just like, I'm the ghost of Christmas past. I'm you from the past, Jason. And Jason doesn't know what to do with this information. So when he's distracted, Trish tries to hit him with the machete, but all she accomplishes is, like, knocking his mask off his face. And you see his, like, ugly, deformed face and all that. Is that a normal... Is that... Does that happen every movie? Almost every movie, yeah. You get a, a you get a Jason face look. Guys, he's still ugly. And it's never consistent. Like, in this movie, he's way more ugly and defer- deformed than in other movies. So, do with that what you will. <laughs> But, like, she doesn't kill him, and he knocks the machete out of her hand um, after she, like, uh, he, somebody attacks him with a machete. I forget if it's Tommy or Trish, but he goes to, like, block it with his bare hand, and it just sort of cuts his hand in half. And then there's a moment where he, like, retreats, and he just stares at his hand like, what do I do with this? (laughs) Why am I injured? Appendage anymore. Yeah, like, he just doesn't know what to do with this. But then... Tommy in a like last ditch desperate attack like he picks up the machete and he swings it full tilt and embeds it into the side of Jason's head. Ouch. Who then Jason falls forward and like hits the ground face first and the machete like slides deeper into his skull. 
Oh, well, they're really like pushing this like he's very dead. Yeah, the behind the scenes interviews, they were like, we wanted to make sure that he was dead, dead, dead. Why did Which, they cut his head off? Well, it's not off, but immediately afterwards, like Trish and Tommy are hugging. They're like, oh, God, it's over. But then like Jason's fingers start twitching. So Tommy snaps picks up the machete and just starts hacking away at him over and over again, screaming, die, die, die. All right, that kid's going to need a lot of therapy. Well, that is correct, because the ending shot of the movie is like, it cuts to them in the hospital, they're recuperating, and Trish comes into Tommy's room and she gives him a hug, and the last shot is just like Tommy giving a thousand-yard stare at the camera, like ominous music playing, like, oh no, what if Tommy's gone crazy now? And then it cuts to black. He's the next Jason. Possibly. No, let's scrap that. Let's go back to Jason. Uh, that's kind of what happens. <laughs> All right. So that was fun. That was Jason the Human Years. And yes, part four, the final chapter, quotations, until we need more money. <laughs> they uh, Humans are very, very loose term in this particular regard. I don't think many humans could survive all the punishment that Jason went through. Yeah. Um, he's pretty durable, to say the least. So, Kev, where do you want to begin on, uh, what questions do you have for me? What do you, what did you think? Out of the, I mean, I guess I got to do broad strokes here. Um, what, out of the three, which did the best? Good question. So all of them had very small budgets, all under $3 million. Part two did a modest 21 at the box office. Mm-hmm. Part three is the highest of these three at thirty-six million. Oh, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that the three D one did the best. And part four took in thirty-three million. So, uh, yeah, three D made them the most money, unfortunately. But they yeah, didn't I mean, ever release another three D Jason movie, so it's fine. I mean, they might again when it comes back. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, critically, they all did about the same. This was in the era of the '80s where critics were like, Ugh, "Violent horror movies. This is you know bad for our country and it's morally corrupting to the youth." And then you know, thirty years later, and look at Hostel. <laughs> it makes these look like puppy dog frolic times, right? It's not. <laughs> I mean. Society changed, I guess, and we're so much okay with mutilation now. Although, to be fair, and to to express the opinion of the other side of the coin, of the the big slashers of the time period, you know, your, your Halloween, your your Nightmare on Elm Streets, your Friday the Thirteenth, Jason is the most brutal of the top three slasher killers. Didn't like Nightmare on Elm Street have like a fountain of blood coming out of it? But that was like the kid is pulled into a hole and then it's just red water, you know, like, yes, it's a lot of blood, but you're not seeing anything happen to a person in the Jason movies. You have the most on screen graphic violence. Fun. Yeah. You get impalements, you get throat slitting, you get skulls getting crushed and eyes popping out. But you also get hot twins going skinny dipping yes you get hot skinny dipping twins thank you kevin that's what you took away from part four it's really great that they uh, appeal to just the baser of all the emotions of these uh moviegoers (laughs) yeah like violence you like sex have we got it for you 
Well, I think it should be. It's interesting to point out the director of part four, Steve Miner, didn't come back. He did two and three, but then went on to other stuff. Part four was directed by a man named Joseph Zito, whose biggest other movies were a couple of Chuck Norris 80s action films, including Missing in Action and Invasion USA. Okay. So that tells you everything you need to know about that guy (laughs) and his directorial styles. Um, If you watch the classic Friday the 13th documentary series, Crystal Lake Memories, which is based on a book that talks about the whole franchise and it's behind the scenes story. Part four had the most problematic filming because Joseph Zito was like cruel to these young actors. Remember I told you a couple of them got killed in the lake? Yeah. Yeah. They were filming in an actual lake at night in like the end of winter. What the hell? It was freezing temperatures and the poor girl who gets like killed on the raft, she was like in tears because they were doing multiple takes of the scene until the dude who was playing Jason stepped up and was like, no, we're done. You are not filming anymore for tonight. This girl is in pain. Wow. Yeah. So props to Jason actors everywhere because they fucking care about the people they're murdering. (laughs) Psycho murderers with a heart here, Jason. Good job. They say actors who play villains a lot are usually the nicest people. All right. So um, I guess how did you how did you think all the movies were portrayed? Uh, I mean, it's hard to say. I don't want you to go into like how each movie was told, but like, I guess for the sake of the whole franchise, what did these movies do for the franchise? What did they do for Jason? I'm glad you asked. There's not a ton of lore building in these ones in terms of like, they don't add anything to his past. It's all just Jason's a killer at Camp Crystal Lake. And that's it for three movies, you know, like they don't explore anything yet until the movies that come after this one. I mean, they don't really need to. Like, this is the introduction of Jason, I feel like. Pretty much. Yeah, it's the early years. He's really setting up his place in the horror universe. Jason's origin story. (laughs) Yeah, he's just killing people. And because this is early 80s, it's still very akin to like late 70s horror movies. So it's, you know. It's he's running around. He's running, by the way. I know you might have a pop culture image of Jason stalking slowly after people and still something somehow being able to catch up to them. Uh, does that ring true for you, yeah, Kevin? Yeah, it's always like this slow, ominous gait with the the machete raised high and all that other stuff. Yeah, well, I'm going to shatter your image once again. I mean, you just, just what you do. Michael Myers is more the slow stalker. For Jason in parts two, three, and four, he's actively running most of the time. He gets very winded. Like, he, yeah, he's he. the way they portray him in these movies is he's just a regular dude wearing a mask. Like, he runs, he ducks, he hides from people, he jumps out. Like, he has to fight with them. He's not, like, superhumanly strong yet. So it's very different than what most people imagine when they think Jason Voorhees. I want to I'm guessing a lot of the pop culture imagery is the next couple movies where he's more of this ominous force. Correct. Can't be stopped, which we'll get into that later. Yeah. Once he comes back and becomes more of a force of nature is what everyone remembers. But the early years, which I feel like are kind of neglected sometimes, he's just a dude. He's just a dude who has to run to catch up to people. 
Well, kind of <laughs> neglected, I feel like, for a reason. Even though these are great introductions, you get to find out why he's wielding the machete, because it was his first major injury, I guess. Um, you and it's what see... killed his mom. Uh, yeah, and and so that's like a big deal. And you get the mask, although there was no real depth to the reason why you got the mask. It just, oh, my sack ripped, I guess. That's that's literally it, here. yeah. I, well, I guess fine. this is convenient. Look at that. <laughs> um, which... Okay, I mean, like, so this introduces it, but for, honestly, like, even forgetting the fact that they're horror movies and that's not my shtick, I don't know if I want to watch three and four because they just sound like sound downright annoying. Pete, <laughs> three is just filled with whoa, look at the yo-yo, and four apparently is the most annoying characters you could ever put on screen, pretty much. Which is, I feel like it was deliberate because all those annoying teens are killed off, and then like the one not annoying teen and the little kid are the ones who live at the end of the day. Yeah, so they're like, listen, we want. Maybe there was some feedback in late in earlier movies where they're like, we don't like it when the guy I like dies, and they're like, fine, we just make we we'll make it so you don't like any of them because they're all jerks. Pretty much, they're all annoying partying kids, and you really don't mind watching them die. Which, I mean, that's just what, that's what happens with every slasher franchise. Eventually, the killer becomes the main character. And it becomes a thing where it's like, who are they going to kill now? And how are they going to do it? Yeah, it, I mean, people go to these... People probably went to this movie to see Jason, not anything else. Yeah. Like, whoever the main characters are can, is more interchangeable. As long as they don't cast some weird 45-year-old drunk guy as the main <laughs> hero of the film, you're going to be okay. No, yeah, I can honestly tell you that the Jason franchise sticks with younger protagonists for its entire run, and you don't have the weird season of the witch thing where it's like, today we're going to follow the adventures of a divorcee going through a midlife crisis. (laughs) Who do you think should watch this series of movies? I mean, let's pretend people have watched the first one, because like, obviously the answer is if you haven't watched the first one, don't watch these three. I mean, yeah, it kind of helps to have the first one as um, the setup for these. But I think horror fans should definitely check them out and watch them as two, three and four together. They make a neat little trilogy that stands on its own. And I'm actually a pretty big fan of in the Jason history as a whole. And then they end and Jason dies and everybody lives happily ever after. And he never comes back. Kenny Ortega is what's happening next. Incorrect. Oh. Uh, in terms of non-horror fans, I would say uh, it's 50-50. If you are squeamish, these movies will probably turn you off because they're pretty graphic. They're very bloody. Uh, they don't really hold anything back. If you can handle that, though, and want to get into horror, I find it is usually easier with the earlier stuff, like stuff from the late 70s, early 80s, because... They're a little more like low key. They're so low budget that it's basically just people running around screaming, you know? So it's not like it's super like traumatizing and like crazy cinematography and stuff. And I mean, by part four, you're rooting for these kids to die. So <laughs> it's Is not it really? like you're going to, it's not like you're going to be like, oh, I don't know if you can handle watching all these people get killed. It's like, oh no, please get rid of these people. They're annoying. Listen, I want Marnie McFly to never exist. Kill him. <laughs> I mean, there's no time traveling, Kev, in this <laughs> franchise. At least not yet. Not yet. Oh, no. But no, I think, unless you're squeamish, they're, they're pretty... You can handle them, I think, for non-horror fans. Check them out if you're up for it. 
Kev, do you think that there is a special demographic that can benefit from observing the events of Jason the Human Years, parts two through four? I think, I mean, it's a series, so you gotta, you gotta have some time put aside for it. But here's the thing. If you really enjoy a lighter, lighter paced kind of comedic, but like it's simple, it's simple. It's nothing too complex, but they're still heartfelt. And you're really enjoying the good, the good songs that they sing and the music that goes through. Then it's, it's really good. If you loved the high school music series, this is, this is something that you should definitely watch. Uh, Julie and the Phantoms is streaming on Netflix now. So I think that's what you really need to take a look at. Kev, I feel like you've been spending a lot of time having to watch things with your kids. No, no, no. Kenny Ortega's all mine. Okay. It's all for me. I'm sorry. I assumed better of you. I am disappointed. Those are quality pieces of cinema, Pete, and you can't tell me anything wrong. I mean, I guess I don't really have a way to argue because I'm telling you about 80s slasher films. So <laughs> if you we'll want call the it absolute a... antithesis of 80s slasher films, <laughs> have I got some shows for you? Okay, well, it, let's just drop it there. That's enough for this week. We'll be back next week where we're going to talk about the gimmick years when things start getting really crazy with the Jason universe. Because they weren't already contrived enough. Oh, Kev. You silly man, you have no idea. You have no idea. Did you know that lakes connect to the ocean? Oh, no. I didn't until I watched one of the Jason movies where they boat... not the definition of a lake. They boat from a lake in New Jersey into the Atlantic Ocean. That's not how things work. That is how they work now. Unless it's a great lake, maybe. (laughs) So, for now, I'm Pete. I'm Kevin. And this has been Fearless Films. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, we're all in this together. Just say don't get too scared, please. Don't get too scared.